The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast, where good taste and, um, oh, we don't have a catchphrase anymore, do we? I thought we did, but you seem determined to give up on it. Okay. Good taste and bad taste collide. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Yeah, Memories. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't want to upset uh, your, your editing skills. Yeah, we have to throw away every um, tradition. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. I write for Slash Film. And with me, as always, is my uh, far more intelligent and decent co-host, William. Introduce yourself. Whitney's so hard on himself. My <laughs> name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And uh, this week, uncritically acclaimed, we're going to be talking about the aftermath of the 95th Academy Awards. We're also going to be reviewing the new Scream movie, aptly titled Scream 6, because it's the sixth one. The fifth one was called Scream. Which like was a the joke. First one, yeah, it, it was it was a bit of a joke. Uh, I wish it landed a little better. Eh. Uh, we'll, we'll t- I guess we'll. Uh, well hold, do you want to do the do Oscars a first? Run up to uh, Scream. Do you want to do the Oscars first, or you want to do uh, Scream first? Ooh, uh, let's do the Oscars first. Yeah, let's let's get the last year out of the way altogether. So the 95th Academy mm. Awards have come and gone. Uh, you may have recalled that Whitney and I did an Oscars preview special where we talked about our opinions on uh, the vast majority of the nominees. There were a few mm. we hadn't seen. Uh, and uh, we gave our predictions, which were okay. Uh, we did, we did <laughs> there okay. Tw- there are 23 categories, and I think we got 12 correct each. We we tied. That's, yeah. I think this is the very first year we've although ever we, tied. Although we uh, we strained on numerous topics, so we got yeah. like different things right and different things wrong. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, yeah. So uh, when it comes to us predicting your Oscar pools, don't listen. Nah. <laughs> One year. One year. Uh-huh. Back when there were 24 uh, uh, Oscars before they uh, combined the sound categories, and there were 24 Oscar categories, I got 21 right. Hey, all right. I, I didn't see I think, a uh, single pundit get more get more correct that year. I'm still proud of that. I latch on to that. I'm going to keep that to my deathbed. I think my record might be 19. Like I've, I've, I've never done super great. That's that's pretty uh, solid. Like 12, pretty solid. 12 is about average for me. Uh, but that that's just the game. It's the game it's we fun. like to play. It's, it's just, just for fun. fun. It, it's, it's not, not nothing to do with actual film criticism or the quality. No. Uh, as we say repeatedly, the Oscars aren't any kind of serious gauge of what a film's quality is. No. Uh, it's just a fun way to have a conversation about what's popular. Well, it's a fun uh, way to have a conversation about what's popular. And I will say this. Well, the Oscars don't mean a lot. They don't mean nothing, but they don't mean a lot. Yeah. Um. Not not for a critic, not especially not for a critic, but just in general, you know, it, they they raise the the uh, awareness of certain films, uh, and uh, that that's something. Yeah. And so as a result, when the Oscars go to good movies, as I would say, the majority of them did this year. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, really. It's it's oh so great, really good movies got some Academy Awards, and a couple shitty ones did too. Okay, well you can't win them all, can you? Um, the big winner of the night was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, it was no- seven, seven Academy Awards. It was nominated for 11. It won seven Academy Awards. That is more than 
any movie has won at the Academy Awards since Gravity, which also won seven, but Gravity didn't win Best Picture. The last time a movie won more Oscars than that was Slumdog Millionaire. And so it's been a while. It's been about 15 years. Yeah, and here's the other cool thing about uh, everything, everywhere, all at once in terms of like Oscar history, if you care about such things. Uh, the awards that people tend to care about the most are the ones that are called the Above the Line Awards. And these are the awards uh, for the more forward-facing people involved in the movie. The people who uh, tend to have uh, the more, uh, more publicity. So like the actors, the writers, the director, producers. Mm -hmm. Those are considered typically, for better and worse, the, uh, uh, the big awards i use in air quotes um no movie in the entire 95 year history of the academy awards has won more above the line oscars than everything everywhere all at once yeah, yeah a whole bunch yeah. of films won five never won six never won never mm -hmm. not a single movie and not 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 tight not silence of the lambs not gone with the wind not all about a, eve none of them and there's another record broken um everywhere <clears throat> everything everywhere was put out by a24 mm -hmm. film studio uh, as was The Whale, that was put out by A24. Oh, shit. Uh, and I, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front was put out by Netflix. That was Netflix. Uh, I think this is the first time in Oscar history when one studio swept all the Above the Line, above the line Awards. Did they do... No, they didn't do Women Talking. Oh, that one screen almost. Uh, that one screenplay, very, yeah. very close, very, very close. It's impressive. All, all but one, yeah, all but one. Very, very impressive. Um, we don't like the whale very much. We've talked no, about we've, that. No, we've talked about the whale. The uh, whale won best makeup and hairstyling, mm. which I disagree with. I don't think they actually came up with a very realistic makeup job. Uh, although, although Brendan Fraser claimed it was. Uh, that's, yeah, that, fair that, enough. That's, but he's, he's gone on record saying this is this is how the bodies look you know so yeah, there's 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 been there's, some disagreement yeah. about that any one best actor and i will say this 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 is a really complicated feeling for me because i've gone on record when we reviewed the whale and we've talked about it since mm -hmm. that i think the whale whatever the intentions were of the people that made it ended up uh i think really misguided i think it ends up feeling like an act of bullying that is that kind of in that condescending way that people who are rude to fat people are, where they mm -hmm. try to make it seem like we're trying to help you out, but in actuality you're just being cruel. Um, so I don't like that the whale got Oscars, but I am happy for Brendan Fraser. And that's <laughs> well, a weird feeling, because I actually, I'm yeah, happy yeah. for him. I, I've always liked Brendan Fraser. I don't begrudge Brendan Fraser specifically. Mm. I'm just disappointed that of all things he got nominated, he got the award for the whale. Yeah. yeah. It's a bummer. Um, BJ Colangelo wrote a really great article about mm. that at Slash Film about like that mixed feeling. Yeah, yeah. well, know? and, and um, I actually uh, I, I like when the Oscars happen because I jump right on the LA Times and I read whatever Justin Chang has <laughs> to say because Justin Chang is really one of the best critics working, yes. and um, uh, he wrote the the most wonderful takedown of Green Book when it won oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. And there was uh, and there was no shortage of great takedowns of Green no, Book. No, no, no. Yeah. Justin Chang's was one of the better ones. Though. Justin Chang, Jordan uh, Searles wrote a really great one. I, yeah. I tend to give a lot of people when they say, what was wrong with Green Book? Here's Jordan Searles. <laughs> I, I, also, I can't say it better. Also, uh, look up Walter Chaw, who has mm. no compunctions about being just completely savage to what he hates. dreams I'm as good a writer as Walter Chaw. <laughs> Walter, Walter Chaw is oh, so my God. great. Yeah. Uh, but Justin Chang uh, said that he he was happy that Everything Everywhere won, mm -hmm. but he wasn't moved to passion by the movie. Yeah. 
He felt it was, uh, you know, in terms of its actual messaging, was was pretty basic stuff. It was really, really yeah. kind of uh, comic book audience friendly in a way that made it less sophisticated. Yeah, it made it feel um, kind of, you know, safe. Yeah, a little, little bit more mainstream, uh, little yeah. adolescent. Even though mm. it's, and I've heard a lot of people say this, it's it's not as weird as it thinks it is, and I think it's it's plenty. I think it's kind of weird. I think it's yeah. weirder. Th- I think at that point. I think we've just gotten used to it at this point. I think that's yeah. part of it. I think it is. I think when you when you're watching the butt plug fight sequence mm. and everything ever all at once, and then you remember that this won the Academy Award for Best Picture, you realize that's kind of weird. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. Um, yeah. I, and I appreciate that something that energetic uh, has has won. You can tell mm-hmm. that guys our age yeah. are calling the shots now. When stuff like uh, I think it, the first domino to topple was Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. to show okay we're going to give these big awards to like fantasy epics and genre mm. only the third time though uh, it, it doesn't happen a lot no but I'm saying we, it took three tries Lord of the Rings to actually yeah, and, like, sweep uh, the Academy Awards and so. technically uh, because this is I guess you could call everything everywhere a science fiction movie it is a science it's, it's, it's the, the first, first science fiction first, movie yeah, ever win first, best picture first sci-fi film to ever win best picture yeah. Um, there was also The Shape of Water. That's, you know, a big fantastical mm. element to that one Technically well. not sci-fi. Not sci-fi, but a, a genre picture. A strange film. Yeah. Uh, it was weird that that was considered the safe choice that year. Right. <laughs> I was still weirded out by that. Like, the, that was the, ro- that romance was the with boring the, choice. Romance with the Gill Man. And yeah, that was weird. People give, credit, uh, people give that movie credit for being but weird. But it, it's, it's sort of like reasons. hearing your favorite punk song... At a Whole Foods, yeah. After it's a like, while, it's like you you it it lo- it's at some point along the way it's lost its edge. By the well, time it, it makes it to the grocery store, by the time uh, Disney has it in one of their movies, mm-hmm. it it's no longer hip and it doesn't have the edge it once did. And I think that's kind of what happened with the, I guess you could call it the backlash to something like Everything Everywhere. I think the interesting thing is that the backlash to Everything Everywhere all at once is just it could be edgier. Yeah. And and really, novelty wears off. Mm. Eventually, novelty wears off. You, a, a few people in the future might be able to watch this thing completely afresh. But for most people, you probably have heard of it. It's one best picture now. You mm. probably got the gist of it. You maybe have seen it before. That's going to wear off. The reason why I actually fully support everything ever all at once. It, it wasn't my pick for the best movie of the year, but it was close. Made my list. Is because when you take away the novelty, it's still a great story. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I remember when I was a kid, um, I was really eager to learn more about film, but I didn't always have access to the best books about it mm-hmm. because we didn't have the internet. I was, I was limited by whatever the bookstores around me had and they were pretty good, but they weren't great. And eventually, uh, a friend of my mom's had been taking a film studies class and didn't need their textbook anymore. Okay. So they gave me this giant phone book sized textbook, and I read through every single page. <laughs> what, was it Boardwell Thompson? It was. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's important. I, or, I think it was. Anyway, da- but David Boardwell and Kristen Thompson wrote a yeah. film called uh, a film wrote a book called Film Art, and it's yeah. uh, it's been updated multiple times. Yeah, but, but it's, it's considered it's like, like the gold standard of baseline of, film studies. It's, you it's know? yeah, it's one of the the standard. If you go to film school, yeah. you probably read it. But I remember the thing in that book mm. that made me think to myself, I don't just like film; I love film. Is, you know, that's a giant book, but it's still all of film history. And so you'd go through, like, Akira Kurosawa in, like, a page. Mm. You know, you'd go through Spielberg in a page. You'd go through Star Wars in half a page. It was breezing along. They dedicated, like, two whole pages to John Carpenter's They Live. 
Ah, nice, I love it. Uh, and the reason why is because it's actually a really complicated, interesting film in the way that it is constructed. And I remember something about it where they were talking about how you know, there's that giant fight in They Live, in the middle, and it's mm. really I'm long. To write it a lot, big for how long it, it is. A lot of people make fun of it because it's just absurdly long as well, an and, action and, sequence. And it was quite clearly included mm. to uh, yeah. indulge the star. It was played by Rowdy Roddy Piper, a professional mm. wrestler. Well, I think that's one of the reasons. And I think it's a big reason, obviously, because he was a wrestling star and he wanted to give him a big fight sequence. Fine. Narratively, however, there is a reason for that. Because the plot of They Live is about uh, trying to get people to view the world in a different way. And they do that literally through the sunglasses that turn the whole world to black and white, and you can see all the subliminal messaging is actual text, and you realize that the Earth has been taken over by a horrifying invading force. Capitalists. In the movie, they're alien capitalists, but they're still capitalists. It's more or less Ronald Reagan. It's maybe the most political movie of the 1980s until Do the Right Thing came out. Like, it's... A really, really cool movie. But there's this gigantic fight where Roddy Roddy Piper is trying to get Keith David to put on these sunglasses and see what he sees. Keith David won't do it, and they fight for like 10 minutes. It's a long fight scene. It's a very long fight scene. There's a lot of punching and throwing around, and And they get up and fall over. And and here's the thing about that fight. As absurd as that fight is, as weird as that fight is, it's not easy to get people to change the way they see the world. Hmm. It's really hard. It is difficult. That fight scene is a metaphor for how difficult that is. And at the end of it all, there's so many different ways to look at everything ever all at once. But I feel like all of that, you have to go through exploring the entire multiverse, opening your eyes to the most grand philosophical concepts in all of existence, and save all of reality. And that's what it takes to get a parent to understand their queer kid. Yeah. <laughs> and that, for me, is what makes everything everywhere all at once, even all that weirdness doesn't really matter. It's, that's a... Well, the cool thing about it is there's a bunch of different emotional cores to it, and I know that's not what everyone gets from it. Uh-huh. But that's in there. Yeah. That, that is a read, and that's a legit read, and that is a very powerful read, and that is totally supported by the text. Mm. And that will always be powerful whether or not sci-fi is involved. Mm. And it's that level of dramatic power that I think the film has that I think will make it last and not feel like a novelty choice. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And I appreciate when those kinds of emotional cores are put into science fiction stories. I feel um, that a lot, and I've said this in different words before, Mm. but when it comes to sort of finding sort of a a salient human message inside of a science fiction story, uh, that's sort of a the genre is a way to sort of make it palatable to an audience who's not ready for just straight up adult drama of the, about the same thing. Yeah. There could be very well a, a very similar story about that has no fantasy elements whatsoever mm-hmm. that would be equally powerful. But it might but be harder to get people into a theater. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's you're not going to get, you know, 14-year-olds to see a movie mm-hmm. like that necessarily. So, uh there, there's a little bit of... Uh, like, what, what are you going to go see in a movie theater? Well, I'm going to go see a bunch of uh, teenagers... Uh, realize that the world is run by fascists and try to take them down. And, uh, you know, it's called Star Wars. It's called Star Wars. It's, yeah. it, you like it. It's called Star Wars. Like, yeah. yeah if it's about, like, a, a student union movement, that's yeah. a different kind of a drama. That, that's probably yeah. not going to make a billion dollars. Mm. Uh, better film? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, that's, maybe uh, that's not, but I think it's probably not going to make a billion dollars. Yeah. Let's just be fair. 
but you know, I, I'm not not concerned about commercial potential. It, like Free Willy uh, is also a movie about saving the whales. It didn't do Avatar two numbers. No, 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 no. It did fine, but it didn't do Avatar two numbers. Also, if if, if Free Willy had fucked up an aircraft carrier, <laughs> I think that like was in a, the fourth one, Escape from Pirates <laughs> Cove or whatever that was. My favorite scene in Avatar 2 is when the the whale just fucking free-willied all over that aircraft carrier. It's like, yeah, we're going to get you. Oh, shit, a fucking whale. I love that whale. Because it's actually a really good moment because you don't know how they're getting out of that moment. Yeah. And the whale just fucks some shit up. And like, yeah. thanks, whale. <laughs> and you like the whale because the whale's like intelligent. Best t- whale movie of the year. And, and, the whale, and the whale's got tats, so it's a cool whale. <laughs> Works as a bouncer on the weekends. It's a cool fucking whale. Yeah. Uh, Avatar got one Oscar. Visual effects. Visual effects. Deserved. Yeah. Deserved. Top Gun got one Oscar for sound. Deserved. Also deserved. Deserved. Mm. Um, everyone thought they were... It's The funniest thing for me at the Oscars was that there was a lot of jokes at the beginning about like, hey, thanks for coming to see movies the way they were supposed to be seen in a theater. That's what the Oscars about. And then for half the Oscars, All Quiet on the Western Front, a Netflix movie was like dominating every category. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah. yeah, everyone saw that on Netflix. I love uh, I, I love that feeling you get uh, if you watch the telecast. We yeah. watch the telecast. I'm not sure if, if our listeners do, but um, yeah. they start announcing the awards, and after a while, it feels like a certain film is on a roll. Yeah, and you begin entertaining that notion. Oh, all Quiet's going to steamroll through all. It's all Quiet going to win Best, best Picture. Well, it was plausible. Yeah, I mean, and any of them is plausible. Yeah. Uh, the only one that the only two I guess that would have upset me for Best Picture would have been either Top Gun, mm-hmm. which I think is dumb, uh, <laughs> exciting planes go zoom movie, but it's dumb and it's, it's military. It's not, it's not a very I'm interesting not, film, but, not, but very well crafted. Well, well crafted, yeah. film deserving with, of technical no, awards. No, no mm-hmm. thought whatsoever in its head, and uh, <laughs> and they kill Maverick, and then they don't, and they bring him back. Uh, and I, I like to think that the final few minutes was a fantasy uh-huh. in his head as he lay dying. Okay, I wrote an essay about that. I'm um, sure you did. Uh, and the other one that would have upset me was The Fablemans, because I don't like Spielberg's new movie. Uh, also I, went home empty-handed. Uh, everything did, because of everything yeah, everywhere. Well, it almost just, everything. Uh, it, it, went, it went home with seven, All yeah. Quiet got four. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a the lot Whale of those... won two, and then mm. no, everything else only won one award if they won anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, 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 or it was like a short or documentary yeah. category. Uh, RRR won Best Song. Good. Mm. Um all Quiet on the Western Front, I'm, I'm fine. It wasn't what I would have picked for most of its categories. I'm fine with what it won. Mm. I'm really surprised it won Best Production Design. Because it's, it looks good. It, right? yeah, it's it looks movie. good. Yeah, but that, it's, that I, scene in like the train station. And, I mean, all, and, that, all that stuff looks really good. Mm. I'm not pretending it doesn't look good. It's just when I think of the sort of Herculean accomplishments and the much more complex and mm. uh, sort of wildly different sets that had to be produced for films like Elvis or Babylon or or, or Avatar or even Avatar for you know maybe not as many but mm-hmm. certainly more uh, very creative um I'm a little surprised I'll quite the western front one that's all it's, right. it's it doesn't it doesn't not deserve it it's just mm-hmm. I really didn't see that one coming mm-hmm. uh Black Panther won best costume design didn't see that coming didn't for, think it had uh, the juice you know what mm-hmm. costumes are awesome in that movie uh Another. This is a, a bit of a niche first, but it's the first time uh, someone has won for the same category for a film and its sequel. Huh. Um, I think apart from acting. Okay. Um, but yeah, same costume designer for Black Panther and Wakanda Forever, um, and she won Oscars for both. No oh, shit. So yeah, that's cool. I did not know yeah. that. I did not know that. <laughs> Good for her. But yeah. Again, that's that's a bit of a. Uh, 
a strange mm. first, but it's a first. Uh, uh, the most hated film we probably had on the ballot did win. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Oh, God, fuck that movie. Yeah. I, I, like, there are things I, I, like, I legitimately hate that movie. It's like, that, not a good film. It, it's, uh, it's, it's attractive. Mm. It certainly looks pretty. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it was made with good intentions, but it is just vapor. Yeah, it's yeah, just I, uh, endless platitudes with no real purpose no, behind no it. Drama there's no it. drama. There's no drama. There's no real depth to it. It's just one reassurance after another. It's like it's like the um, it's like the therapy slash religion machines in THX one one three eight. You just go into a booth and they show you it's that like short and they're like, and you're better, TVs. right? No, I'm not. That didn't tell me anything. I, I feel like uh, that scene in THX 1138, that's like Instagram now. Mm. It's like you, you go on Instagram if you're looking for like inspiration mm-hmm. and it just gets, sort of gives you these proof. You matter. Well, thank you, photograph <laughs> that said you matter. That makes me feel, I'm glad I relate to something here, this device that said you matter. Yeah. I'm um, trying to think of anything else uh, was of uh, particular interest in the actual awards themselves. Pinocchio won Best Animated Feature. We all saw that coming. Jamie Lee Curtis won Best Supporting Actress. We assumed it would be Angela Bassett. We were wrong. Angela Bassett was mad. <laughs> was she? Like, I didn't miss the, that. There's, there's a split second uh, uh-huh. when, when they announce the winners. Uh, they have yeah. all five of them on camera at the same time. Yeah. And you're, you're sort of looking at them. And when they announce the winner, they sort of zoom in on the winner and they fill the screen. But there's a split second where you there's get to see everyone's reaction to losing. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's just like a polite clap. Like, fair enough. Fair enough. Sometimes people are like, "Wow!" Like they they wanted that person to win. Like yeah, they, like they, they didn't think they were the yeah. front runner, and they're yeah. not. They're not the one. That's Angela the Bassett was like, mm. like she just <laughs> like the stoniest look on her face and just I, cl- slow clapping. I, if memory serves, when Lauren Bacall was nominated for The Mirror Has Two Faces, when they did mm. that bit, she looked furious. She's everyone was like, "She's finally going to win an Oscar. She's amazing, and she is great in that movie. No, no oh, doubt about fine. it. I yeah. love her in that movie." Um. But apparently, like, Juliette Binoche went up there and said something nice about her, and mm. uh, people were trying to lip-read Lauren Bacall. She said something during that bit, which, uh-huh. like, just said something off to a friend, and apparently she said, that was sweet. Oh. <laughs> so that's nice. I remember, I think Samuel L. Jackson, when he lost her Pulp Fiction, actually said, shit. Yeah. <laughs> the, the saddest time was... Um, oh, Eddie Murphy uh, for well, Dreamgirls. Well, I was going to say it was when uh, Michael Keaton was up for Best Actor for oh, Birdman. Yeah. And I yeah. think Eddie Redmayne won that year instead. Uh, memory serves, yeah. And um, there's a shot of Eddie Redmayne taking the stage, and you can see Michael Keaton in the audience putting his thank you speech oh, back in his brutal. coat. Like, he'd extracted it already. It was already yeah. to win. Yeah. And, and deserving, too. He's great in that movie. Uh, eh, he's one of my pick, but yeah, he's good I, in the movie. Birdman is one of those movies that actually is... is oh, getting... you mean Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Michael Keaton's really great. Yeah. Eddie Redmayne's fine, but, like, Michael Keaton did a really good yeah, yeah. job in the um, film. No, no doubt about But, yeah, about Bird, it. Birdman is a movie that's getting better the more I think about it. Uh, like, I, I thought it was fine at the time, yeah. uh, but... I respect it. It's just don't, I don't love it. Uh, I, I I admire the sort of the artistry that went into the whole one-take thing. That was pretty mm-hmm. pretty novel yeah, very and complicated. fun. I, I like the drum score, like all Kudos. the jazzy stuff. Yeah. Um, the performances are all pretty great. But I appreciate that it's it's essentially an anti-commercialist movie. It's sure. like an anti-corporate filmmaking movie. It's yeah. It says that cinema is corrupt. Yeah. Theater is where pure art lies. Mm-hmm. Superhero cinema is garbage. Like, that's pretty, yep. pretty bold for the Academy to give uh, Best Picture to something like that. Especially yeah. uh, in... In tw- like what was that? It was 2011 that came yeah, out. Around no, um, 2011 I think was Argo. Would have been like 2013 somewhere around there. 2012, 2013, 2013, 2013, 2013 yeah. Yeah. Well, 2012 was 12 Years a Slave, 
Um, uh, was around there. Yeah, uh, around there. But you know, yeah. they had expanded the Best Picture category to include superhero movies. Basically. And yeah. they gave the award to a movie that said superhero movies are shit. Yeah. And, uh, I, and you know, I appreciate that. I do too. There's, there's a little bit of, of moxie in that. I appreciate uh, that. The th- as for the ceremony. Ah. Uh, ABC, who mm. uh, broadcasts the Academy Awards. I hope you're about to talk States. about what I think you're about to talk about. Well, uh, every year the Academy Awards run. And the day after, there's articles about, how can we fix the Academy Awards? Mm. The numbers weren't as high as we liked. Mm-hmm. People, it's like, I mean, first of all, uh, TV numbers are down across the board yeah. uh, in recent years. Secondly... Who cares? It's it's it's, it's, it's still big, one of the highest rated things you know, on TV. It's, hu- it's hugely you know? highly rated, and the, you know the film nerds who are interested in this kind of thing are going to tune in. And yeah. uh, for many many years, there was a pattern. Mm. It, it, it became very solid, became really repetitive, which is why people kept talking mm. about how do we save it, how do we jazz it up. And in the last couple of years, they've tried all kinds of completely misguided things yeah. to to try to get more people to tune in and also do things like shorten it like we're gonna we're gonna give away some of the awards before the ceremony just to shorten it that year was longer than the year that preceded it yep because that's Uh, not why that's not why it's long they tried shortening it they tried not showing some categories they tried condensing the sound categories they uh they tried getting like different kinds of hosts i know during uh lockdowns they did it at union station Mm -hmm. uh they changed the order of the awards that are handed out in that one was embarrassing yeah they, they said we're gonna have a host we're not gonna have a host one yeah a couple yeah. of years they didn't just didn't have a host they just yeah, had presenters. people just randomly that was fine i guess i, I mean it, the show functions but you know the yeah. host is nice to yeah. sort of make jokes and keep things it's, moving it's there, it's there uh, for when they're you need one basically yeah, um, yeah. i'll say this jimmy kimmel fine he's fine he's fine. He, he's fine he he's a good master of ceremonies and that's all you really need He's yeah. not. He doesn't have that sort of like affability that Billy Crystal had. He was the yeah. one who, who did it when I was growing up. So Billy Crystal he's sort was of like good. The, he's sort of like the gold standard. Well, Billy for Crystal, me. you could tell he uh, really like enjoyed it. Yeah, and he got to he enjoyed being able to play. Mm. Uh, and I think that was that was a different vibe. And I kind of miss that yeah. when people were like excited to do it. Like, what can we do? Yeah. Um, and I feel like just just having an MC is fine. But I kind of wish. There was some verve to it, but whatever. Yeah. It's well, but it, it's just if, basically trying to get you through the evening. If you're familiar with with Jimmy Kimmel as a comedian, mm-hmm. uh, that's always been his shtick. He's always like a little bit laconic. He kind of undersells sure. the punchlines, uh, not sort of the energy you want for a live mm-hmm. program. But again, he's fine. He he's knows fine. he knows the movies. He handled everything I, completely. I, I don't object to him. He's fine. Um, some of his jokes were pretty crap, but that's true every year. So who cares? I am. Yeah. Um, and they went straight back into that old pattern. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's fine. It's better for it. It, it just, is. This is the kind of the show that we're used to. Yeah. All they really did to change the original old pattern of host says some funny things, introduce an award, mm. host says some funny things, here's a musical number, Yeah. back to an award. And that's boom. That's it. That's all we need. But it used to be that they would add in like these kind of showcases, like, like okay. dance, dance numbers. I remember thing, this yeah. one year, the, the, it was the year the Saving Private Ryan and like Thin Red Line were nominated. And they were like, we're going to do, those movies, yeah, yeah, we're going to do, uh, in order to sort of make the best original score, that was that, and that year they had uh, two awards, original score for like musical comedy and drama. Okay. Uh, that was a brief experiment. They only did it for a few years. Um, but they were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all of the orchestral scores from the drama, from the drama uh, mm-hmm. uh, nominees, and we're going to do interpretive tap 
in front of all of them. And I'm oh, like, yeah. that's not like, really what the score for Thin Red Line is about. It's kind of a weird vibe. And I was mm-hmm. just kind of, we don't really need that. Yeah. So just, you cut that out. And we just kind of hum along. <laughs> and then we're just sort of fine. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about, and this is the one thing about the ceremony. that There are things I didn't like, but mm-hmm. this is the one thing that made me mad. Because this used to be against the rules. Like, there were literally rules against this. Oh, is this the advertising? Yeah. Yeah, fuck this shit. <laughs> okay, so it was. it's not uncommon at the Academy Awards for presenters to come up on stage who are maybe the stars of a new movie or a movie that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Okay, they're in the news together. It's fine. You know, we got... Um, oh, God, do you remember when the Charlie's Angels movie was going to come out? Oh, yeah. And they brought out the... Th- that is the, the McG yeah, uh, yeah, version yeah, yeah. of Charlie's Angels. Drew Barrymore, oh, yeah. Cameron Diaz, and, and Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu. And they yeah. all came out on stage together. Uh, and they just, like, fucking died in front of everyone. Like, they, yeah, they, they just, tried to do, like, they tried the, banter, and it was, like, the most disgusting funny. thing. Yeah, what are you going to do? Like, so, mm-hmm. like, listen, that that's neither here nor there. I don't... Like, I can live with all that. What they did was they brought out uh, the, the the stars of the upcoming live-action remake of Disney's The Little Mermaid. Mm. And I thought they were going to uh, announce an award or something. I'm like, okay, fine. What they announced was a new trailer for The Little Mermaid, brought to you by Disney, which happens to mm. own the network ABC. They've owned it for a while, and yeah. No. They have, but they've never done anything like this at the Academy. No, and it, in fact, there used to be uh, a bit of a... Ru- there was a hard. There was a hard. Rule. There was a rule where you're not allowed to show film advertisements during the Academy. Award. There was a rule that was so serious that the Academy was so concerned about looking like they favored one studio over another, mm. or one filmmaker over another, that even though it was the Academy Awards, you know, the biggest night in the film entertainment mm. industry, you weren't allowed to advertise a movie during the commercials for the Academy Awards. What's more. Actors who were going to appear on the Academy Awards, whether they were nominated or just presenting, if they were in a commercial, that commercial couldn't air. Yeah, yeah. That's how much they cared about being respectable. And now we had, first, them coming on in the middle of the ceremony to do nothing but advertise an upcoming movie for Disney. Mm. Followed by a a thin premise, which is Warner Brothers turned 100. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so they showed basically a pitch reel with all the IP, not even that they've made, that they've collected. Yeah. They didn't only even make all those movies, they just bought them. So it was this big celebration of corporate synergy. It was like the entire reel was was uh, uh, comp- composed by Algae Rhythm from, 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 <laughs> from the Space, Space Jam, Jam sequel. <laughs> These were big corporate advertising buyouts just for the two biggest studios no other studio got to do that Mm. no other nothing else got to be advertised just those two and you know what Mm. that's fucked up and i don't think that's appropriate and i think that is wrong and i tweeted to that effect and i've had a lot of people respond to me by saying, what did you expect? Disney owns the network. Well, first off, I expect a modicum of class. I expect <laughs> yeah. a little bit of decorum. But I also so, expect... Wh- <laughs> I expect people to have higher standards than this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't here's... expect them not to be awful. It's not an excuse for being awful. Yeah. Um, film has always been com- a commercial enterprise. It is. I, I, I know that. I'm not pretending I, uh, otherwise. I've, I know it's capitalism. I, I, and I, I acknowledge that it's capitalism. 
Yeah. I hate when it feels like it. Yeah. And I'm going to call something out when it feels like it. This is yeah. why I hate Space Jam so much, because yeah. that is just a commercial enterprise. There is no art to a movie no. like that. It, it feels like uh, a, if the whole move, both movies feel mm. like basically just an ad for a corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not even like sending it up, yeah. like they're just advertising. And frankly, not even a very good ad. No, it's it's, like, it's shrill. And the, the Lego movie awful. is just an ad for Lego, but it's a really good one. And they just, decided yeah, to make it about other stuff. At least they threw some some real effort into cleverness it. in that one. Yeah, uh, I I don't yeah. So I don't like it when a film feels like a commercial enterprise, uh, and that's a. I feel like we have been going through like the last decade, mm-hmm. uh, even worse than the eighties, when uh, sort of. Big budget mainstream corporate entertainments mm-hmm. have just sort of been uh, been bigger than they ever ever have before. Mm-hmm. They take up and they always took the lion's share of the market, but now like they're the lion's share is like even larger than it ever was. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of audiences throughout the last decade have been trained to uh, also thanks to things like. Uh, misinterpretation of Rotten Tomatoes, putting mm. scores on stuff, yeah. uh, widespread dissemination of box office information that mm. just average citizens are wielding in normal yeah. conversations. We, we don't do this. that for other industries. Just like, yeah. hey, did you hear how much grapes made last year? I guess if you're a stock trader, you'd, yeah, look, you'd if that, you're, if you're yeah. invested in the industry for some reason, yes, but the average person, we don't pay mm. attention to like yeah. every business like this. It's and... And also a lot of people have been wielding those numbers as some sort of proof of something mm-hmm. uh, as, as to a, a film's quality or a film's yeah. cultural presence. I'm making like. a point about a movie and to prove that I'll show you that it sold a lot of tickets. It sold a lot of tickets and here's a percentage I can slap on yeah. it. Uh, 98% of critics liked it, which means it's 98% good. And that's the misinterpretation. Huge misinterpretation. About that's not uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, all of these factors sort of combined into an increased perception of art as a commodity. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are very comfortable with thinking of art that way because it's easy to quantify. Mm -hmm. It's not about nourishing your soul or enriching your mind or responding Mm -hmm. to something in an emotional way. It's not about challenging you either. It's it's not about engaging with a film's ideas. A lot of these big corporate movies don't have a lot of ideas. Uh, They're there to to placate. Yeah, Top Top Gun Gun placates. Placates great. A play, yeah, placates wonderful. Oh my but, god, um, it placates well, but it placates. Uh, and, and I'll say this: if if you think a film has no politics, all it means is that you share its politic. Yeah. And it's bolstering your existent beliefs. What it means it is, is it is reinforcing yeah. your status quo. If if a movie is that like that so mainstream that it doesn't feel like it have it has politics, what yeah. that means is that the makers of the movie think that everything's fine, yeah. and that yeah. when you're making art, nothing needs to be challenged. And I'm sorry if you look around, that is a lie. Well, also, and, and that's a, that's a standpoint. It that's is a political it's a standpoint. standpoint. The idea that uh, nothing needs to be changed yeah. is a hugely political standpoint yeah. because so, uh, a lot of people are really really suffering. And uh, so I think a, a lot of this sort of uh, to, to you know, put in, in quotes politics free uh, art making, the sort of corporate art mm-hmm. making, is now. Uh, just sort of the mainstream way of discussing art. Mm-hmm. And the idea of putting a commercial mm-hmm. in the middle of what is ostensibly a celebration of the arts uh-huh. isn't going to register for a lot of people. Yeah. Because this is all advertising. They expect and nothing less. Advertising and films are now kind of the same for a lot of people. Yeah. They, we, uh, again, a lot of people mind, expect nothing less. Keep like, in mind. Uh, you should expect more. You no. Know, keep in mind what uh, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe did. Yeah. They made a movie, told a story. 
conflict, good versus evil. Uh, Perfectly good movie, that all, first Iron Man. The, the, I, I like the first Iron Man. It actually has a I, point. I like Iron mm-hmm. Man 3 a lot because that's actually kind of about his retiring. He doesn't, but yeah. you know, that's what, where that movie ends. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then at the end of the movie, they would show you a little commercial mm-hmm. for what's coming next. Mm-hmm. A tease. Well, a little tease. And audiences were trained to go into those movies with a notepad mm-hmm. uh, or a mental notepad. Yeah. And sort of take note of you know what sort of things are being set up for future yeah. installments. Everything was an ad for the next thing. Yeah. And you know everyone says okay now I now I sit through the credits because I know there's something coming after the credits. Well, that's yeah. just more movie. There's not like that period in the credits where you're just sort of reflecting on what you saw and absorbing yeah. it. A you're little kind bit. of there impatiently waiting like, yeah, get, like come okay. on we know it's coming. Yeah, we, we, get we, to the good stuff. I know that there were gaffers. Hmm. Move along. Cool. But I, I think that sort of thing uh, sort of trained people to continue to accept movies as a permanent place in popular culture. Yeah. The story doesn't end. It's just going to always be there. And I resent that as somebody who likes cinema. Not that I don't object to long-form stories. Not that I object oh, sure. to... Uh, well, it, it's uh, everything it's in moderation. Movie, movies though. that connects to one well, another. Everything but I, in moderation. Yeah. Like it, when, when it becomes just nothing but advertising. When mm-hmm. that when you because a lot of those teases are very little but advertising. Occasionally, yeah. something's a fun joke, yeah, or, or or like a, the end of um, I think it was the first Spider-Man movie where mm-hmm. you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then there's the recurring joke of uh, Captain America doing those like PSA videos oh, for yeah, school, yeah, I, and it ended with Captain America coming out. So. You need to learn how to deal with disappointment. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny. I can appreciate that. That's um, funny. Go for it. Yeah, I, Iron Man three. It's like yeah. uh, there was a, a cameo from from the Hulk. Yeah, and and he says, "And I've been dealing with these issues with my father." He says, "I'm not that kind of doctor. Please well, stop talking." It's, to it's me. also a meta joke because that movie is actually narrated by Tony Stark, and so they're saying, "Who who is he talking to?" Yes, yeah, he was just, talking to the Hulk. He wasn't even listening. Yeah, the Hulk funny. Was, like fell asleep. It's, funny. it's a little joke. Yeah. It's not. It's not. But uh, brilliant. But it's funny. There were. T- I think at least two instances where they just showed the preview for the next one. It was uh, just before the Avengers. They showed yeah, the preview for that. the last one was before that. Yeah, the, the one, uh, I think, just before Civil War. They just picked a random scene from Civil War and just showed it out of context. I know when... It did uh, not work. Uh, whatever was right before um, the latest Doctor Strange movie as well. Just showed you the preview for the, the next Doctor Strange yeah, movie. That's a, yeah, uh, they might as well. Yeah. And and there's there's yeah. a, a a fun kind of Saturday matinee vibe to that sort of like an sure. old fashioned movie serial kind of yeah, afternoon. It's, it's a cliffhanger like, in a way. Yeah, it's like oh cool, cool fun cliffhanger, uh, but people aren't doing it for fun. They're taking it very seriously, yeah, and uh, and I feel like all of those elements together are sort of have a lot of audiences primed to accept films and advertising as equal art forms mm-hmm. and i hate that that well, makes my heart wither up and die like i'm not arguing that advertising isn't an art because it's absolutely using the skills of art in order to capture our attention and that's advertising and there's something to be said for that uses the language of art to what i would consider a, a debased end i, it, uh, not, I think that's <laughs> here's the deal. i think it's a little extreme but yeah. it's not unreasonable um i guess those things are are contradictory it's a little extreme <laughs> but i but i i don't entirely agree with it right. um but um but yeah no it, th- these things are not, not you're making the you're using the craft of art for different ends hmm. very different ends except sometimes movies only do that when we have and that's when we have space jam and it doesn't really feel like a movie it just feels like an ad yeah um 
is it still art? Technically, but it's too, as you refer to it, a debased end. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, I think it's okay to be offended by that. And I am offended by the way the Academy Awards, which, again, was created under corrupt pretenses in an attempt to distract people from actually making meaningful changes within the industry for the better of the workers and the artisans within it, with shiny prizes. Hmm. But at its best, at the very least, it's supposed to be celebrating everyone in the industry and not just one studio or two, the two biggest ones. And you know what? I think that's fucked up. Some people have said they don't care. Great. We don't all care about the same things. It doesn't mean they're not worth caring about. Yeah. You know, is this a little inside baseball? Maybe a little. But I do think the impact matters. And I do think uh, um, if you don't expect better Mm. from your corporate entities, they're not going to give you any better. Mm. You know, if you don't, if you, if you silence all criticism by saying, well, of course they're evil, mm. then nothing's ever going to change yeah. Yeah. because yeah. Just, they, they've just, they've just well, worn you down now, into complacency. Now, now you have very low standards for, yeah, for the, I, the corporations. I, I'm not going to completely lower my standards. I'm not. I, I, uh, I it's, I think that's bullshit. I, I admit I'm a victim of corporate branding. I, mm-hmm. I look at certain studios or gigantic companies and think, oh, my friend from uh-huh. time to time. That's one of the uh, good ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will. I will never not buy a Swiss Army knife that is not that is not Victorinox brand. Okay, Victorinox but, is the proper Swiss Army knife. Well, because they give you what they're you folding. want when you buy a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, the, there are yeah. other folding knives out there, probably yeah. better. But Victorinox is the one for me. So I'm branded. Okay, all right. I admit I'm branded there. But again, that that's a uh, product though. That's something yeah. that actually serves a function. Yeah, but uh, also like that does uh, the thing very specifically uh, the way you like it. There's and and there, but there are movie companies as well, like the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. I I have respect for them. I feel like they're doing good work for the most part. Yeah. Uh, are there things that I could work on? Absolutely, there are. But you know, well, as, there's, there's a of, certain reliability yeah, and yeah. in terms of like curating like a, a, a collection of really amazing movies. They're great. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of odd that I, I refuse to sign up for Disney Plus, <laughs> but I have Paramount Plus. <laughs> yeah, like, why, why is Paramount the okay that, corporation that for one me? Has Star that Trek. one has the one I like. So yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm not a Star Wars, Marvel, or, not, or Disney animated guy. We're not so I don't pretending want that we're one, perfect, but, and there is no way to be perfect so within I'm, a system I'm, that is this flawed. Yeah, and, and so I admit that I am a victim of corporate branding, but I also sure. know corporate branding when I see it. Yeah. Yeah, it, there is a line that can be drawn. I'm comfortable with it. I see it when it's happening. Yeah, and, there is uh, a line that can be drawn. And, and we I, can't say this yeah. far, no further. Uh, and I'm trying to say, uh, like, think to myself: if the if the Oscars stopped the movie or stopped the the mm. show, excuse me, and showed a preview for a movie mm. uh, that I was perhaps really looking forward to, uh, yeah. I, something cool, something you like, yeah, um, yeah, probably be something really sick, like Infinity Pool for me, but. Um, <laughs> It's like they, the they, Greasy Strangler 2 is yeah, coming out, and we're going to show you a preview after the break. We're going to show you a, 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 an uncensored preview for the Greasy Strangler 2. It's like, oh, sweet. Like I'm, I'd, I'd be excited for that. Yeah. Would I be okay with that kind of advertising if it was something I was looking forward to? I understand there are probably people out there who are looking forward to this live-action CGI hybrid of The Little Mermaid. Sure. Uh, More power to you. Yeah, it's like, yeah, uh, it's all okay. That's just taste. You know, you haven't seen it yet. You know if it's good, but you know oh, yeah. it's it's something you're I, interested uh, in, and that's fair. You know, I, I'd be interested to see the Little Mermaid. I'd be happy if well, it was good. Um, well, we will see yeah. it. You know, it's, only, it's only a matter of time. 
That's the thing oh, about but, movie trailers. Everyone else sees a movie trailer and they go, oh, that looks good. We should see that. Or, oh, I'm not, I'm not yeah. interested. And we just see a vision of our future. Yeah, we're, we're, we're critics. Like, oh, well, that's... <laughs> that we're going to have to see that. Here's a taste of something we get to eat all of later on, yeah. whether or not we like the taste. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that could also be a factor in it. Yeah. That this is corporate synergy to the point where a lot of people who were, were looking forward to that movie. Yeah. So they'll see the preview like, oh, that's sweet. This is part of a big blitz. It's like the other people who watch uh, the Super Bowl for the advertising. They're just so full into the to show after a while. Because they used to have advertisements for stuff I was interested in. And also, mm-hmm. they would do advertisements that were kind of funny. Yeah, like different kinds of yeah, ads. Yeah, they were like, they'd be weird. Ordinary you know? primetime TV. Uh, is it the most enlightened way to to consume any kind of art? Nope, nope. <laughs> it's not. But it's what everyone else was talking about. It. What am I supposed to do? It's an imperfect system, mm. and I live in it. So uh, I think if I if there was an ad for the Greasy Strangler two, mm. I, I might just say, "Well, good on you, Academy Awards, for advertising something so disgusting." Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the Greasy Strangler, see it. It's disgusting. It's it's like aggressively disgusting. It's way more Whitney's jam than mine. But I know that a lot of people I know love it, mm. and who I respect really love it. It's not for me. But I do it. I, I respect it. Okay. It's not for me. I mean, I, I as a fan of gross movies, it's I think gross. it's really wonderful. It's a very gross movie. My God. Um, but anyway, we're, 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 we're getting off in the weeds. The Oscars did something we do not approve of. What else is new? Uh, but there used to be a rule against this. And just because they apparently eased off on that rule doesn't mean we have to approve. Yeah. yeah. It's okay to say... Yeah, I don't like this. That's kind of the whole point of what we do. We're critics. But, uh, but I, I yeah. understand why people would give you a little bit of static sure. for pointing out uh, when a, a corporation got a corporate. Well, I, uh, listen, I'm not. I'm not saying I think it's. It, I didn't think that was possible. Hmm. What I'm saying is I find it in poor taste. Yeah, and I think that's okay. You know, we can disagree. We can just agree to disagree at that point because at some point you're just saying I don't think it's in good taste. You know. That's okay. We can disagree. I think it was in very fucking poor taste. Uh, in any case, those are the Academy Awards. Now we don't have to talk about them for a while. Uh, except for our podcast where we review every single film ever nominated for the Academy Awards. Coming up, 1951? 51. 51. 51. Uh, that's going to be on our Patreon page in a week or two. Yeah, Still got a few films to watch. Catch, but catch we'll, up on we'll, those movies. We, yeah. got a, we got another one coming up soon. I'm very excited about it. Um, but uh, next up, we only saw the one new movie this this week, uh, but it is a big one. It is the sixth film in the Scream series, uh, a series which I'm very fond of. I, I used to be more fond of Scream. That's fair. I've, I've sort of, the blooms come off, off the rose in recent years, and I okay. think um, the original Scream, which came out in 1996, was a mm-hmm. Wes Craven film. Yeah. Uh, it is often credited as sort of revitalizing slashers. By yeah. the late '90s, the slashers had kind of come to an end. The big mainstream ones, uh, yeah. like there was a t- throughout the '80s. There's a really wonderful documentary out there called "Going to Pieces," which is about the mm-hmm. rise and fall of slashers. I haven't seen that one. Uh, and um, yeah, in the 1980s, these things were coming out by the fistful mm-hmm. uh, because they were cheap to produce and they were big hits. They made yeah. a lot of money regardless because they just provided. Uh, cheap grindhouse thrills, violent, sex and yeah. violence. Some were a lot better um, than others, but they so all. Yeah. Kind of, but they all like. You go to see a bunch of people murdered in creative ways. Mm. That was the appeal. As long as it delivered that, yeah, you're really forgiving for the most part. And uh, and, uh, and I'm very fond of a great deal of these movies, even yeah. some of the bad ones. Some of the bad um, ones are fun because <laughs> they're because they're just shameless. S- some of them are like legit good movies uh, like uh, John Carpenter's Halloween is is like mm-hmm. 
actually wonderful film. I'll go to bat for uh, Friday the 13th Part 2. Friday the 13th Part 2 is the best in that series. Yeah. Most of those movies are terrible. At, le- at least it's the classiest. Um, in, in terms of like... Filmmaking, filmmaking style and yeah. like actually having kind of a point mm. and like yeah that, that one's pretty good yeah. Fr- Friday the 13th yeah. part 2 most of the Friday the 13th movies are rotten just completely rotten but very fun some of them are fun to I watch. like I, there isn't a single Friday the 13th movie that I don't at least like like <laughs> a lot of them are really I mean, ridiculous fun, fun. and a lot of them are kind of crap was, but they're also all entertaining in a very simple uh, in, a very, so. in a very silly way I mean like the, the third one is really caustic four that's is the one, fun that's, and, you know what that's the one that I don't particularly care right. for but even that has some good bits right. and, but yeah. after four it's like five six seven eight it's like we're just sort of posting oh, all this garbage we're gonna have a longer conversation yeah. about this sometime, but it's fine. Uh, but that that whole wave of slashers died down, and then uh, in 1996, uh, Wes Craven, who mm. directed um, Last House on the Left, he did uh, Hills of Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, he, like kind of revitalized the horror genre like three yeah. decades in a row. Not every uh, horror movie he did was a classic, but mm. he he did a classic every few years. It was pretty impressive, pretty much, yeah. and. Uh, and Scream was about, it was a Gen X film. It was yeah. about Gen Xers who had watched, and it was about a generation of uh, people who were weaned on media. Mm-hmm. And so when they found themselves in a horror movie situation, their only response to it was to respond uh, through the lens of the movies they had seen. Yeah. So they recognized uh, that they were in sort of a horror movie situation and could reference horror movies in response to it. Yeah. Uh, so whenever, so there was a lot of talk uh, mm-hmm. in dialogue about how this is the scene. If if this were a movie, this is the scene where X would happen, and yeah. this is sort of how these things function. And the killers were also familiar with horror movies, so and they were they actually were killing based play, on those yeah, rules, playing yeah. into horror slasher movie tropes. It had this wonderful meta narrative. It's very very good. Mm. Uh, it sparked this new revival of slashers. It only lasted about like four or five years, mm. but there were, but a, there lot, were a, lot. a lot of slashers in the wake of Scream. Yeah, um, they rushed a sequel into production, Scream Two. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and they tried to continue with the meta narrative, but the meta narrative aspect of it, the thing that made mm. Scream so brilliant, uh, started to fall away in favor of what the characters were up to. Yeah, and uh, like there were characters um, who survived, and then their story yeah. would continue in the yeah, next and, film. And, they're, and they're we getting would deal a with, older; they're going to college. They in would the next deal with film, the trauma yeah. that they were dealing with. They were trying to move on with their lives. That they're going through something extreme. Uh, and I think Scream Two is very good. Scream I, Two is very good, I and and it works I would have been really well. would have been okay if it stopped there. <laughs> Because uh, I, I I have l- decreasing affection for all the ones that came yeah. after Scream Two. Yeah, I like I, a I lot think of the ones that came after Scream Two. There's there's a wonderful uh, scene in Scream Three, which was not directed by Wes Craven. No, Scream Two was. Or or excuse me, it wasn't written by Kevin Williams. That's right. There's different screen. I, th- I think he might have done a draft, and they threw. They only did some of it. But there's uh, the idea is within the universe of the Scream movies, mm-hmm. they have now uh, spawned a. a true crime slasher series yeah. that in, within the screen movies they call Stab. Yeah. And now they're in production on Stab sequels and now they're running around on the set of Stab within the screen movies and that's sort of a fun uh, notion that you know, they're sort yeah. of like within the movie within the movie. There's a really fun bit where the killer is chasing Nev Campbell mm. through the set of her house and yeah. she's familiar with the construction of her house and but not that, that it's on a set so she'll walk into a room and realize there's nothing there and almost fall yeah, and like that's, that's very clever that, that's a clever yeah. chase sequence I hope that's um, but you know, as as the the sort of films have gone on, we've gone more and more into like the motivations of the killers, and there's all this like really complicated mythology has sort of sprung up underneath it, and there's an interesting uh, 
sort of message and the fact that everything that's been inspiring these Scream movies was something that happened before the Scream movies ever began and we never see that dramatized. Yeah, it's, uh, in it's discussed of, in Scream 3 in, in detail, of, uh, but we never yeah, see it. Yeah. Uh, Nev Campbell plays the main character. Her mom has been absent throughout all of these movies. Yeah, she was but the first murder out, victim, actually, before the events of the first film. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it turns out that her backstory uh, had a lot to do with... Uh, most of the killer's motivations throughout the Scream movies to that point. Especially the first three. Yeah. 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 Um, Scream 4 came along uh, many years later, and trends in horror had changed. The slasher revival had died down, mm-hmm. uh, and the 90s were over. Yeah. And this idea of playing kind of winky fun with our media wasn't in vogue anymore. Yeah. So it didn't play it didn't, have a, it didn't have a lot to comment on mm. in terms of here like, are the new rules of the genre they talked a little bit about horror remakes but they didn't actually mm. do much with the yeah, rules of the horror remake or anything it, like that, it, that it came out during this idea this yeah. uh phase of uh, like horror remakes and i think if they were going to do something they should have done a remake mm-hmm. uh, of scream and commented on remakes through that rather than just bring the old characters back and just have another I, I, I've often it. pitched the idea that my my ideal Scream movie like hey you're gonna do a Scream movie like yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna remake Scream and everyone's gonna be really mad at me until you get into the theater we do the opening kill we do something completely different and then we find out you're not seeing Scream you're seeing a remake of Stab <laughs> the remake of Stab and yeah. that gives us a carte blanche to go to get weirder Yeah, I think yeah. like we're in the movie there's, within the movie that'd be kind of fun and there's a lot that could have been criticized about horror but I feel like the filmmakers were too effe- too fond of the mythology well, they had built so it became too much of a soap opera. Uh, here, here's here's I'm gonna, here's I'm, gonna uh, I'm gonna put it to you here because yeah. I think I think you're you're decrying the soap opera elements a little too hard for my taste. All right. Because I actually think that the human drama at the heart of the screen movies mm-hmm. is a big part of the reason why they work. Is it also the meta narrative and the commentary? Yes, one hundred percent. It would not be what it is without that. Well, those things need to be strong for the film to function. For the most part, I agree. However. The actual core of the Scream movies, the, the 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 commentary about the horror genre is actually pretty thin. Hey, mm-hmm. here are a bunch of tropes. Yeah, we, we'll we'll follow them when it suits our purposes, and yeah, we'll and ignore it, them when they don't. Well, and that's the gag. In '96, that yeah. was pretty revolutionary, and it I feel like they could have leaned into that element a lot harder as they went along. And that, and I think that's a matter of taste. For me, I, I think they do that sometimes, and I think we'll talk about the new one. I think the new one has let that fall to the wayside more than it should have, mm. but. I think the first three screen movies used that material as a lens to explore something a little bit more insidious than that. And I think you, you mentioned that it's all hmm. about uh, Maureen Prescott, Neil uh, Sidney Prescott's mother. Hmm. Um, Who's not in the movies. She's not in the movies. Hmm. We see her in like a fantasy sequence, like she's like sees her mom and like kind of like a thing in Scream 3, but it's not her. Um in the first movie, and we're going to talk about the ending of the Scream movies, uh, which are pretty old now, so we feel like even though they are like have twist endings, they're kind of well-known. If you want to skip ahead a little bit, we don't blame you. But these are older movies. We're not going to reveal who the killer or killers are in the new movie at all. That, mm-hmm. That'd be rude. Um, at the end of the first Scream, we find out that the killers, you know, even though they claimed not to have a motivation, they were motivated because they saw Maureen Prescott as destroying their family unit yeah. uh, with her wanton sexuality. Mm. So uh, it's, again, it's, yeah. and, and that plays into old slasher tropes of... Of misogyny. The, well, misogyny, the, the idea that a killer is um, conservative and puritanical in some way. And, 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 they're, and, yeah. the, and the characters who uh, you know, indulge in drugs and mm. sexuality are uh, seen as like 
committers of vice, the right. sinners who are being punished. But I do believe that the misogyny element, even though that's not always present in all the original slasher movies, is very key to the Scream movies because that's what um, that that's what the main killer was uh, up to in Scream uh, One. Mm. Uh, in Scream Two, the main killer. Still blame Maureen Prescott for breaking up the family unit. Yeah. It's the yeah. exact same thing. And then in the third film, after everyone made such a big deal out of that line, movies don't create psychos, movies make psychos more creative. Uh-huh. Um, we find out that the reason why uh, everything happened to Maureen Prescott is because she tried to make it in Hollywood, and Hollywood was such an incredibly corrupt, sexist place that covered up... Mm horrible sexual violence against women and that her attempt to actually make something of herself and deal with that trauma was met with violence by every man she ever met Mm. except Sydney's dad I guess it's a condemnation of not horror movies but the industry yeah and this movie was made directly under the nose of Harvey Weinstein and Lance Henriksen is basically playing Harvey Weinstein (laughs) that's the part of it I appreciate yeah I think I think that's really central to that first trilogy in particular. Um, I think there is a larger commentary at place there, and that's one of the reasons why I think Scream 3 aged a lot better than people give it credit for. Um, I think Scream 4 tries to do that by mm. dealing with the idea that a new generation uh, does not appreciate what the previous generation went through. Yeah, And well, I think well, that's... That's, that's a big part of the motivation of the killer, and I think... It kind of gets into that, but then well, it's it kind of backs uh, away from it as well. Also, but. keep in mind it, it's it's coming of ultimately coming down on the people who like mm-hmm. saw Scream and were the age of the same the same age as the characters in Scream. Yeah, and now it's just Gen Xers getting older trying to convince themselves that they're still relevant. There's a little bit of a pathetic it, notion to what, Scream Four. What I don't like about uh, Scream Four is that all of the young people are mm-hmm. really underwritten, with the exception of Hayden Panettiere's character. Yeah, and, um, and that's I think that was oh, a huge mistake. I think the opening sequence of Scream Four is genius, where they keep peeling back the yeah. layers of reality. I thought that was really fun. If you ever get a chance um, to see it, it's, it's easy to find on YouTube. The original ending. I mean, sorry, the original ending of that opening sequence. Okay. Um, I think it's scarier. Mm-hmm. Everything is the same until you get to like the final two people who are actually in the real world. And just the way that kill plays out in that deleted sequence, I think is so much more frightening than what we actually got. Yeah. And I highly recommend checking it out because mm-hmm. it's really creepy. Re- I think yeah. it's the creepiest scene in any Scream movie. <laughs> and it really pisses me off that mm-hmm. it didn't make the cut. Um, uh, a, a lot of uh, trends changed. A lot of yeah. horror trends came and went. I kind of wish that when they came to Scream 5, which was just called Scream, mm-hmm. that it was like set in the woods of Germany. Like something completely and was, different. And it was like really yeah. gray all the time. <laughs> it was like this long sustained shot and like Sydney's there and she's like in a dress like carrying a bucket of mud. You want like, like an A24 yeah, horror like, movie. Like, yeah. Because like, yeah. that, that was the generation yeah. when it came up. It's like, Agreed. okay, this is the, these are the trends we should probably be sending up at this point. Yeah. But again, they, they, just, they didn't do that. They're now, so committed to like, preserving the slasher that they're kind of ignoring what horror is now. Well, and, and I think they're kind of ignoring what makes slashers effective a lot of the the mm. violence and the brutality and the, the lasciviousness of it there's fun to be had in that <laughs> violence and it's fun I to be like had in the new scream movies it, in in scream five oh maybe a little and scream six it feels really rote I, I wanna... I, the violence is you know at least appropriately brutal i, yeah. I like i like my slasher films to be there's nice, some, nice and stabby there's some really but, uh, messed up kills especially yeah. in these in these two movies i think i think they're, they're Wes Craven was a little classier with his handling of violence than the mm. new guys. 
Uh, with the new directors are Matt Bettinelli, Olpin, and Tyler Gillett. Yeah, they did um, uh, Ready or Not, uh, which that was their, their big hit. Um, I, oh, and, and Samar Weaving, who started in oh, Ready yeah, or she, Not, is, has a, a, a small role in this one as well. Uh, the, the, the first Scream movie that they did, Scream 5, which we'll just call it that for the sake of uh, simplicity or clarity. Um, they largely abandoned the idea of there being rules of a horror movie. They talked a bit about the requel which mm-hmm. is that whole, we're going to do a sequel in a series, but it's basically just following the original pattern over and over again, just sort of reestablish the baseline for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the killers were kind of doing that. But what that movie ended up being about more than anything else wasn't so much movies as it was about toxic fandom. And that's yeah. something that's very relevant. However, it's not necessarily relevant just to the horror genre. And in mm. fact, I think a lot of the commentary, they even invoke Ryan Johnson uh, as like the guy who had directed the most recent Stab movie that pissed off all the fans. <laughs> it was more about Star Wars. A lot of it's about Star Wars. Yeah. A lot of it's about larger trends within the industry. And so when we get and, to... And I also feel like... Yeah. Uh, that that is what that movie's about, and, yeah. and uh, I think it's apt. It's it's apt, but I feel like they didn't really commit to the bit. Uh, there there could have been a heck of a lot more if that was the point of their movie. Yeah. They could have done a lot more with it. Mm-hmm. As it stands, they kind of revealed that at the end. Yeah, and like it was a theme that kind of came out of left field. Yeah. Prior to that, it wasn't about those things. Yeah, in I fact, like... it was about legacy and mental yeah. illness and yeah. uh, and you know interesting... inheriting things from a previous generation. Like that that was, those were the themes of the movie up to that point. What I think that Scream movie did really well. Mm. And I think we're seeing it in this movie, which I, I think I liked more than you did, but I still have problems yeah. with it. Mm. Um I think what the, that movie did really, really well was introduce a new, younger ensemble cast that I actually want to follow into the future movies. Okay. Because I actually think that uh, our new main characters, uh, Melissa Barrera, who plays the daughter of one of the original killers of Scream, and she's dealing with that legacy mm. and her own very conflicted feelings about it. Uh, her sister is played by the great Jenna Ortega, uh, who is handling the trauma very, very differently. Uh, and then the twins, uh, Mason Gooding, who's kind of a nice guy, but I like him. Just not very, not a lot going on with him. Uh, and Jasmine Savoy Brown, who's like the new Randy and I love her to pieces. Um, I want to follow them. Yeah. I, I like them enough that I'm interested in what happens to them next and I'm still invested in them and we can build on that and even though Nev Campbell doesn't show up in this movie hmm. I still feel like we've got a good solid base on yeah. which to build a Scream movie yeah. um, the new one much like Scream 2 uh, has moved to a new city it's taking place in New York they're at college and there's a new killer who's doing yeah, uh, some copycat stuff it takes place in New York. Uh, New York's yeah. played by uh, Toronto, I think. And, For the uh, most part, yeah. <laughs> uh, which means there. I, I think it's Montreal, actually. Oh, it's Montreal. Okay. Sure. It's, 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 can- it's, it's, it's in Canada, anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's kind of a pity because, apart from a subway sequence yeah. and and like one scene in an alleyway, it doesn't really feel like they're in New York. There's a bodega. It's 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 a Canadian <laughs> convenience store. It's not a New York bodega. They could have done a lot I'm just more saying that's the, where they tried. They, they, they I'm just tried. That's where they, they tried. tried. I'm just saying that's where they tried. Where, where but you're the, right. It's not where, very. Where's the stab on the Chrysler building? You well, there's know, a scene that takes fun. place in like I don't think it, I don't know if it is Central Park, but it should have been. Yeah. Like uh, to Central Park. It does feel like they're they're not making the most of the of yeah, the locale, but, which is a little frustrating. I agree but, with that. Uh, they they pointed out because this is uh, sort of like their own Scream Two uh-huh. that it follows a lot of parallels from Scream Two. Uh-huh. The one that came out in 1997. Yeah. Although uh, what so they... the idea of the characters going off to college and yeah. uh, you know legacy characters yeah. and all the rest of that—that that, that's very 
Scream the, the one thing they specifically say is when they talk about, like, hey, listen, we'll be safe out in the open. Really? Like our Uncle Randy in Scream 2? Who because was pulled into a van out, into in the the out of the... Yeah. That was, like, the b- fucking best kill in the whole series. The, um... I agree they didn't do enough with that. And in fact, what they really talk about more than even the Scream 2 thing is the idea that we're in a franchise. And mm. to be fair, long-running franchises weren't so massively prevalent that they would have rules mm. uh, before. And now they kind of do. But again, we're not really pulling from horror anymore. We're actually pulling more from stuff like The Fast and the Furious yeah, and the way yeah. they handle legacy characters and death. And well, they, at that point, it no longer feels like it's about yeah, horror, yeah. which is... I guess that's okay, but it also I, feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, there's there's one scene in this movie where uh, they sort of sit them down. It looks like they're on blue, blue screens. It looks like an afterthought where uh, they're actually discussing, the li- like in the first movie, yeah. what the rules of the movie they're in are supposed to be. They and, articulate uh, the rules and they clarify who all the suspects are. And yeah. I appreciate that. You kind of need that moment in a movie yeah, with a lot so of characters talk like Talk about this. all those yeah. characters. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. What I would have loved to have seen is... Okay, here are the rules. Stab, stab, stab. Oh shit, there are no rules. And they just kill like, <laughs> like I, most of the main characters right there in that scene. I really like, and I'm not going to reveal how it plays out, but I really like the opening of this one because it seems kind of conventional for the opening of a Scream movie where mm. they usually... Oh, but then there's a, a little bit of a twist. There's, there's, a, there's an unexpected bit in the opening. So like, it's you're introduced to a character, something bad happens to him, the like, phone call, stab, stab, stab. <laughs> and then, I'm not going to tell what happens, but, but more happens. Yeah, and uh, I honestly had no idea where we were going for a minute. I thought we were going to completely change the entire way the story plays out, <laughs> and for about twenty minutes, I was really into it. I really thought this whole yeah, movie was maybe going to take place over the course of like one night that or whatever. Cool, right? That would have been kind of cool, like just been a different vibe throughout. And then it kind of just settled in and became another scream, and that's not a bad format. It's not. Well, it's certainly not a I, format that I'm that I don't yeah, I enjoy, but it. It loses a lot of that energy mm. that it came from just just letting the events play out differently from different mm. perspectives or in a different timeline. But what, that was really giving it a lot of gas at the yeah, beginning. The, what's happened to the Scream movies yeah. um, is uh, there's there's no meta commentary anymore. They're trying, but it's not really there. They're, they're, yeah. They don't really know what they're trying to criticize at this point. Yeah. Uh, which I, I, could speak either to the filmmakers or to the state of horror. It's kind of mm, hard to say. I, I have a thought of that, but I'll let you finish first. Uh, secondly, you know, it, it's essentially just become another slasher movie. Uh, <laughs> the whole point of Scream was that it was trying to sort of look at slasher movies from the inside out. Mm. Now it's just the thing it was criticizing. A little bit. It's kind of devolved a bit. Um, I agree with that. I find it very telling. There's a scene in this movie mm-hmm. and uh, where... Uh, some of the characters find a a, a, a lair. Oh yeah, it's in the trailer. There's, it's there's, in the trailer. Like, okay, it's like collection of scream memorabilia. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a collection of scream memorabilia, and yeah. and it's all laid out like a museum on these little yeah. glass cases. We can look at scream behind a glass case, and we can't touch it. Like that's, <laughs> all we can do that's is good. regard good, the movies like that. that came before us and kind of walk past it, yeah. and you know. Th- there's some... and, and not and not really understand why these things are are special anymore. They're I just, appreciate they're that. just relics. It's, a, a, it's an artifact now. I, I don't disagree with anything mm. you're saying, but again, I don't think that's all there is to the screen movies. Mm. And I think if the movie largely acknowledges that it doesn't have much meta commentary anymore, it's inviting us to enjoy it purely as a slasher movie, not the end of the world, perfectly good genre, and to follow the ensemble. And I think there are some things to really really like about that. Again, I like this cast. 
I mm. like these characters for the most part. I think there was they're just interesting people to follow. They're fun. They're funny. I don't want them to die. Um, I liked Melissa Barrera. I think she's great. I, I think she's I know, I know, um, uh, Jenna Ortega. Took Jenna a lot Ortega's of getting yeah, getting sort of a, yeah. a lot of the hype. She, Jenna Ortega. Uh, I feel like she's still nothing but potential. Like she'll do something great soon, but um, I think she's already great. It just she'll she'll I, have better roles, I'm sure, in the future. But I, I didn't see a lot of, uh, of the Wednesday Adams. I didn't TV see that at all. But um, uh, I, I loved her in X. Um, the uh, but no, I think Melissa Barrera is uh, really anchoring this series well, and she's doing the Nev Campbell carrying the trauma over thing, but in a very different way. She's got different stuff to deal with. Yeah. And I think she's handling it great. And I'm very curious where they could go with that character. If she survives, I think it's really interesting. Um, there's a thing that they introduced at the beginning of this movie that I thought was an interesting, natural extension of how the first movie dealt with toxic fandom and how the, mm-hmm. that was the ultimate commentary it was not so much on genre, mm-hmm. but on the people who define themselves by their love of that genre. Yeah. Specifically online in particular. Um, we find out that unlike Sidney Prescott, and this is like in the first 10 minutes of the movie, this is not a spoiler. Uh, we find out that unlike Sidney Prescott, who after surviving the various screen murders was considered a hero, mm-hmm. a celebrity, an icon, uh, unlike her, Melissa Barrera is not well-liked. And in fact... The internet has turned on her, and uh. now they are going bending over backwards in order to say that the killer, or killers, from the uh, last Scream movie were framed by her. And it seemed to me like what they were starting to comment on was this new wave, or no, it's not new, but this recent and particularly noted mm. wave of really toxic terrible men who somehow have a legion of fans attacking the women Mm. who they have victimized saying that the real problem is the woman and I thought we were going to go somewhere with that and I was frustrated to discover would have been nice if they had they started going down that path I was interested it seemed like that's what this was going to end up being all about and without giving away uh, anything really doesn't really Explore well, that, and that's they, very frustrating because that was a good start. These are it was all, an uh, interesting new place to go. Yeah, these are uh, the screw movies are all whodunits. Yeah. We don't know who the killer is. They're wearing the, that yeah. um, mask, uh, which was a mass produced mask, by the way. Uh, it wasn't designed yeah. for the movie. Yeah, good uh, one though. Really awesome. I, I remember yeah. seeing that in Halloween stores prior to the release of Scream. Yeah, uh, so it's like, oh, that's the, yeah. the Halloween mask. And it's a Halloween costume as well. It's yeah. like that lightweight nylon material. Yeah. Just light them on fire. It'll stick right to them. <laughs> These things are flammable as fuck. Yeah, that's true. I'm surprised um, no one's ever done that, actually. Just, <laughs> waiting, that, that's got to happen at a Scream movie, I think. At some just, point, yeah. has got to set them on fire. They had that whole bit. I remember it was in the trailer for the last Scream movie where you saw Ghostface with a flamethrower, and then it turned out that was from that was from a Stab movie. Uh, yeah, one of the Stab sequels. And I'm like, I still kind of want to see that. It's kind of awesome. Uh the problem is when they reveal uh, the killer, the killer does the killer speech. They reveal yeah. why they've been doing it. and yeah. you know, Here's, here's uh, what you've missed. And here's, ha, ha, gotcha. Like that kind of thing. So, yeah. Sometimes you can kind of see it coming. They drop clues. In this yeah. one, you, you really can't. No, I did. Uh, because there's... They, they don't give clues as to like no, they who some of these characters are. No, they did. did I, they? I, I, can't, I, I can't tell you without... But they, uh, they, right. they, 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 they dropped... 
if you pay attention, they drop some stuff uh, that makes maybe, it seem... Maybe I'm just there, playing, there was one like... element of it where I really didn't think they were going to do exactly that, but, like, yeah, I kind of I kind of knew. Yeah, but yeah. I, I feel like with something like Scream 2, the reveal yeah. of the killer and their motivation played into the bigger themes in the movie. Yeah. Uh, with this one, no. Yeah. They, it's just sort of like... No, it, it like pissed me off, actually. Something that they can, like, sort of snap off and put in a different killer reveal if they wanted to yeah no i really didn't care for i think it it, i think the ending of the movie is where it falls apart for me because yeah there's some good like action and stuff in it Mm. like some good thrills to and i think that's true for a lot of the movie Mm. um but every scream movie with the exception of scream 4 and even then it kind of settles back in every scream movie kind of ends the same way where Mm. everyone's like it all comes down to this the killer mm. is surprisingly... Maybe it's this person. Oh, no, it was this person. And then they explain everything. And then they try to kill somebody. And then someone, no, like, yeah. turns the tables on them. And then the hunter becomes the hunted. And mm. and I wish people would, who made the Scream movies, would put as much energy and creativity into the finale as they do into the beginning. Yeah. Because I think there's always this understanding that we got to start a Scream movie really strong. Yeah. Because the first one did and they've kind of just threw yeah. down the gauntlet. Mm. And I think the only one that doesn't really start strong is Scream 3, which is just sort of like, oh, we'll, oh, just, we'll just kill uh, Cotton. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the Leah Schreiber character. Right. There's a yeah. bit of a twist, but not really. It's not very interesting. Uh, but all the other ones, even this one, I think really solid openings. Yeah. But the ending is basically just, we're going to do it slightly different. We're going to put it in a bigger space or whatever like that. Again, Scream 4 did a different thing. Credit where credit is due. Mm. But we're five of the six are basically the same finale in a different room. Yeah. And I think you really got to jazz that up. <laughs> I think that's the one well, the, thing uh, that they almost never do. And they one of, uh, really help. One of, one of the twists in the original Scream, uh, and yeah. I guess I can say this now. Oh, yeah, this, that, we, we already talked about it. 27-year-old movie. Yeah. Um, is that uh, there was not one killer, but two. That blew my fucking yeah. mind and, in the theater. And it's like there's... Because I'm watching who, Who's it. wearing the mask? Well, it's this guy. Oh, wait, it's also this other guy. I'm watching and, that uh, movie and I'm tr- the, for the very first time in the theater. And I'm mm. thinking to myself, okay, who isn't around when the killings are happening? And I'm pulling my hair out because <laughs> there's no one who isn't present for all of the killings. Like there's mm. always like some person who has an alibi or is otherwise indisposed and it wouldn't make sense for them to be the killer. And I'm like, well, who the fuck could it be? Maybe it is the dad. He's the only person who's been off camera this whole time. And when it was two killers, I was like, oh, you fucking, you, well done. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that, that covers they're, all they're, the bases. Playing fair. Yeah. Uh, very fair. Rather. Unfortunately that there's not one killer, but two is something they've repeated a lot, a lot throughout yeah. the series. So it's not a shocker anymore. No, uh, and you would think that, and th- this is sort of my way of saying that they didn't do this in, in, in Scream 6, uh, mm-hmm. surely there should be a scene where they catch the killer and then they catch the other killer. And then there's like 18 more of right? them. Like there's, it, it's like in John Wick, like everybody in New York <laughs> is ghost face now. Do something really extreme with it. Do you something know, kind of fun, wild. There they, was a, they've lost their ability to make these films exciting or edgy well, or scary. We're at a point now in the screen movies and I think they're approaching this as we either accept this premise or we don't. Because mm-hmm. unlike the Halloween movies or the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, it's not the same killer every single time. It, it's, it takes place in the real world. People die. And they don't come back. Fine. You've committed to that. I think it'd be fun if you just totally flipped the script and made it supernatural. Why not? Why not? But whatever. Yeah. Whatever. You, you committed yeah. to this. Surprise me with something. I, mean, I, I, I thought think. that's where they were going in Scream 3, and I was really looking forward to it. They didn't mm-hmm. go there. But regardless, at some point, you have to admit, 
it's absurd that there are this many copycat killers of the exact same guy. Yeah. Like, it's weird that there are this many doing the exact same thing. People don't want to do their own thing. Yeah, People aren't following other killers. It's very specific, and, it's ve- yeah. and it's, it is by definition repetitive. Well, what they should have done, you know, if you look at sort of the serial killer buffs, yeah. the people who study serial killers and like serial killer, uh, yeah. like true crime fiction, sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's a reason why we keep making movies about, you know, fucking Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. and, and Ted Bundy, like sure. these, these serial killers. Cause they're, they're ex- mm. ex- extreme criminals who, you know, right. have, have, uh, committed some pretty ex- extreme crimes and yeah. you know we, we want to hear about these people who live so far outside of, uh, uh-huh. outside of society. It's like, what, what is, who is this person who just killed uh-huh. a bunch of people? That's why we keep going back to these serial killer narratives. There aren't serial killer fanboys in the screen movies the same way there are in real life. Mm. I would think that there would be like, I guess they did this in uh, um, David Gordon Green's Halloween. There'd be like true crime uh, right. podcasters. Yeah, everything's really stabulated. This mm. is a true story. You don't have to make it stab. I would actually like to see in like the next movie, like they didn't reboot stab but someone else told the story of the Woodsboro murders, but they did it like super classy and it won Oscars. Oh, there you go. Like someone just won an Oscar for playing Melissa Barrera's dad. Like that would be kind of fun, right? Like yeah. we just like, oh, we did. Yeah, we did it, but we did it like the Joker where we took it super seriously. Like that would be kind of interesting to us. Um, where I thought you were going to go with it was, um, there are so many different copycats for Ghostface mm. that it almost feels like it's kind of a cult. And it reminded me of, Kevin Williamson's TV show, The Following. Do you ever used to watch that with oh, Kevin Bacon? Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, good yeah, idea. This, this is about a cult of serial killers. Yeah, it, it's, it was a really good idea. It ran out of juice after a while, but the premise was super creepy. Uh, Kevin Bacon was an FBI agent who had captured a serial killer, uh, but the serial killer had developed, through his fandom, a cult, and everyone in the cult was also a serial killer. Hmm. So... It was like uh, uh, it was like incepting people with the with the desire to be a serial killer, and you never knew who was going to be a serial killer. And you know what? Creepy premise, hard to maintain over time. I feel like that could have been a scream thing, mm. like that. What you were suggesting that could have been really cool. But we're talking about what future movies could be, and it's fun to think about. But w- what Scream Six is for me. It's the least of the Scream series in a lot of ways. Mm. I like the characters. I like some of the set pieces. Um, Again, I think the opening's really, really strong. It doesn't have a lot of follow-through. It's the only Scream movie that I don't feel like ultimately is about anything. Like, it's not about meta-commentary. It's not about uh, more meaningful uh, character commentary or larger social themes. It's not using the language of the slasher or of the scream movies uh, to greater end. Mm. And as a result, it feels like a thin slasher. An entertaining slasher? Yes. I enjoyed watching it. Mm. I wouldn't say it's bad, but it's my least favorite of the whole series. What about you? It's also my least favorite of the whole series. And I didn't like the last one very much. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, there, there's things to admire about the Scream series. I feel mm. like Wes Craven directed uh, his chapters quite well. Mm. Um, even even Scream Three, you know, has mm. has a lot of fun set pieces. There's always something to recommend about each of the Scream movies, but I feel like 
as the series has gone on, it's lost everything that made it interesting to begin with. Mm. To the point where now we just sort of are lazily coasting on a few legacy characters and things we remember from previous movies. Mm. Um, I can't imagine anyone coming into the series at this point and finding anything interesting about the Scream series. It has to like start at the beginning and work your way up, you think? Uh, at, at the beginning, or at least with Scream 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Hayden Panettiere's character from Scream 4 returns in this one, and mm-hmm. she is introduced with such little fanfare. It's given know, so little character. Like, uh, I thought I thought that was going to be a bigger moment. Yeah. Really... You're ta- the, the young cast, uh, in sort of an abstract way, is kind of interesting, but I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of them don't get you know highlighted scenes. They're, mm. a, a big part of the original Scream movie is a lot of its conversation. They're just sort of yeah. sitting around kibitzing about movies. Kevin Williamson was one of those. Them, yeah. It was Kevin Williamson, Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino mm. and Joss Whedon and the crew of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm. who I think was like kind of and, defined... and Linklater, I'd say Linklater, and Linklater at the early '90s, I suppose as well. But like the, this was kind of like what was defining like the voice of movies mm. in the '90s, like the way people literally talked, yeah, uh, for better or worse, often worse, uh, but so, so, maybe not accurate, but of. of... Yeah. You could tell who was writing, depending yeah. on what the, but the there conversation, were, there conversation was. These were, for the most part, and the reason why I left off Linklater was these were, for the most part, uh, uh, writers who were writing characters who were pop culture savvy. Yeah. And unlike movies in the past, where it was considered a little gauche to have characters talk about, in movies, talk about other movies mm. m- more than once, and even then it was kind of weird, um, to actually have that be... Not a replacement for a personality, but a way to express personality. Mm. Um, that's what that wave of the '90s, I think, was fundamentally largely about. Mm. That, that's like the the one thing you can say about all of those yeah. writers. Mm. So I think that's just become so mainstream that the 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 language of the Scream movies, the way mm. that the characters interact, it's the way every other movie talks now. Yeah, and that part mm. doesn't feel as special. I don't know how it could. It's just it's just a victim of its well, own success. Well, it it it, it can't, and that's my yeah. point. Is, yeah. You know, we're on Scream. Six. Yeah, how, gotta how, lose some steam after How a while. many of these slasher series had a really great sixth chapter? Uh, Jason Thirteenth. I don't like Jason Lives. Jason Lives is <laughs> awesome. Lives you is so That's the fun one. That's the it's, one where they admitted it was ridiculous, and they just made an awesome uh, horror comedy out of it. Uh, no, they just they, they made an awesome horror comedy out of it. I will hear none of it. <laughs> they the kill. Like. They bring him back with science. You like that movie? You're always defended. <laughs> My point is, he's he's not supernatural yet. It's science. Because <laughs> he's brought back with electricity, like Frankenstein. That's right. That they, makes it science. <laughs> they, 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 they stabbed a crowbar into his heart, I had, lightning I had, struck it, and he's he's shocked back to life. I had a bolt of lightning hmm. this, this week when I was thinking about uh, Jason Voorhees. Oh. And about how he's one of the few horror franchises that not only moved from ostensibly set in the real world to having supernatural elements. Uh-huh. Uh, but did so successfully, and people accepted it. Um, I had a thought: Why is that? Why is that okay? Hmm. Like, wh- how did that happen? And I realized: Here's what happened. Jason Voorhees in the beginning, where the preamble to Friday the Thirteenth Part One uh-huh. were drowned right. while camp counselors were distracted having sex, and his mother uh, went on a killing spree. And we find out in the second movie that Jason Voorhees was alive. Hmm. And he'd been raised by his mother in secret in the woods, and he had taken her obsession with teenagers and his her hate his hate her hatred of uh, all those teenage behaviors uh, became part of his personality and became like a an unthinking killer. Yeah. Okay. And then we find out in the sixth movie that he's actually undead and cannot be killed. What if hmm. 
Jason Voorhees did die. Okay. Never came back. And his mother had actually raised a pumpkin head. Oh, from the movie Pumpkinhead. And Jason Voorhees, and the reason why he's an unstoppable killing machine with no real personality, hmm. the reason why he is so supernatural in origin, and um, is because he's actually a pumpkin head. And pumpkin heads are supposed to stop when they've killed everyone that uh. they were supposed to kill. She hated all teenagers. He could never die until every teenager is dead. Okay. Boom. Jason Voorhees is a pumpkin head. Hmm. Everything makes sense. Except Jason goes to hell. I got nothing for Jason goes to hell. You know, that uh, one's fucking weird. You know, uh, Friday the 13th is set in New Jersey. Yes, it uh, is. It's, it's a very Jersey-centric movie. And uh, yeah. the idea of going to an overnight camp for the entire summer is a very New York phenomenon. It's, it's, it's not New England. We, it's it's very not, New England. Not something we really do uh, over here in, on, on the West Coast of the United States. It's, it's, it's not considered much. a universal tradition. No. Like, no, it it's, it's, happens, but no, you don't expect everyone to have yeah, done and, it. And, yeah. and, and there's, yeah, they go to uh, the woods of New Jersey or, yeah. or Connecticut or something. Yeah. And, um... Uh, Another horror franchise mm. that's set in New Jersey. I love this theory. You, you, you've espoused this many times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's fine. Go. Child's Play. Yes. Uh, Charles Lee Ray, the, I think the Lakeshore Strangler, the Lakeshore is, Strangler. is his nickname. Doesn't actually strangle all that many people in the movies. No, no, no. Well, I, mean, it's, I, when, think, it's, I think it's two in the he, movies. When he's got little doll hands, it's kind of hard to strangle well, he, people. Well, he, he, he uses like a grot wire to try to kill uh, Chris Sarandon. Oh, that's and right, And then I yeah. think he suffocates a guy at the beginning of three. He I don't sm- know if that counts, he, though. He smothers a guy in... Uh, Bride of Chucky. That's Bride of Chucky. In, in the beginning of, I think, Child's Play 3, he, like, plastic bag death oh, or something so. like that. But, uh, that's technically not strangling, though. It's a, That's asphyxiation. Yeah. Totally different. H- Hill, Lakeshore asphyxiator doesn't <laughs> trip off the tongue in quite the same way. Yeah, that sounds uh, more like a metal band. <laughs> With Lakeshore L- asphyxiator. Lakeshore asphyxiator. Here's and then, like, an agent comes and says, what about just asphyxiator? <laughs> it's cleaner. <laughs> Here's our first song. It's called Cradle Death. You know, whatever oh, they got. God. Uh, Jesus <laughs> Leave it in Don't cut it out Alright Le- Leave in my death metal joke uh, okay. But uh, Surely This young boy Charles Lee Ray uh-huh. Probably went to those Overnight camps right uh-huh. When he was around a teen If you sort of Line up uh, The chronology Of uh, Child's play With Friday the 13th mm-hmm. It's possible That a Young teenager Maybe around like 13 or 14 Mm-hmm could have begat a son yeah. with with Mrs. Voorhees. Mm-hmm. So Jason could very well be Chucky's child. Of course, the dates mm-hmm. change around a lot in that they, you can't, you because can't, You can't because base the, it all on dates. The Friday the 13th series has like such a crappy mythology. Yeah. Like, wait, he was alive in the woods the whole time? Here, what? Here, here, here's what I'm going to say um, regarding that particular theory. Because I think mine is bulletproof. I think that's just the truth. Your theory about Jason Voorhees, I think, has a 1% chance of being true. But, in true Batman v Superman tradition, (laughs) if there is a 1% chance, we have to take it as a 100% certainty. (laughs) Ergo, Charles Lee Ray is Jason Voorhees' father. However, Jason Voorhees died in a lake and was replaced with a pumpkin head. Boom, we got it. (laughs) We done. Wipe off the hands, all dramatic like. That's fine. We're good. Let's, that, let's... That's a more interesting conversation than Scream Six. <laughs> that's how I want like Scream cause... Scream Seven to open. It's just that level of stupid conversation. Like yes! we really thought this shit have, out. Have stupidity yeah. in it. Someday. I do miss it. Because that, nice. that's the kind of shit head cannon. Mm-hmm. 
Headcanon would actually be an interesting place to take the Scream movies. Yeah, Scream, colon, headcanon. Well, because, like, think about... They even mentioned it a little bit here, and I'm not going to tell you whether it, it plays into anything, but they talk a little bit about how, in the new Scream movie, like, previously, there had been theories about other people being the killer. Like, I think someone says, like... Yeah, and everyone always thought maybe one, maybe Sydney would snap one day, and that never really made sense, did it? And uh, that, that, but then they also that, talked. That would have been a fine twist as well. It would have been fine. It would have been pr- pretty hard to justify based on the character that we'd seen, but it was something that they always toyed with. A lot of people think, and they've been like little cute asides that kind of support this without actually supporting it. A lot of people think that Stu actually survived from the uh, original scream. There's a theory. Um, Apparently, in the original version or the original draft, I don't, I don't know how much they shot, of Scream 3, there was two killers again. Okay. And there is a theory that that's still canon, and one of them just never got caught. And so the character in that movie, who was the other killer, who might have survived, might still be out there doing God knows what. That could also be a thing. I think headcanon would be an interesting thing to explore mm-hmm. in a Scream movie. That's, again, and it's also, much like these new movies uh, uh, are seemed eager to do, exploring how fandom relates to the actual movies themselves. But anyway, uh, let's review this one movie <laughs> on our critically acclaimed scale of C- to C+. Where C- is below average, we don't recommend it. C is average, mixed bag, and C- is an actual recommendation. Whitney? Mm. Where does Scream 6 land for you? That's a C-. Uh, I give the last one a C- minus as well. The, the, yeah. this, the series ran out of steam a little while ago. and yeah. uh, I, I'm not appreciating uh, the efforts for it to coast on fumes. If, if it was mm. about how the series was tired at this point, I would have maybe jibed with it a little bit. That probably would have been a good idea, but, actually. But now it's just well, it's the, just plain tired without yeah. the, the commentary, without the thrills. That would be actually good. Because remember when like Scream came out and they were all just like, oh, the slasher genre is dead. Mm. Sequels suck is what they said in the second one. They should probably do that if like, franchises run out of steam. Yeah. Like probably do that for the next and, one. And wouldn't it have been keen if it's like... Franchise okay, fatigue. Yeah, for, yeah. If it's like they get to the end, it's like, okay, the killer's in this room. We got to go in there. No. What? No, go home. <laughs> and they just go home and the last scene is them yeah. like just reading magazines. Yeah. And they roll the credits while they're reading magazines. Killer's just looking no at his actual... watch like, they are really late. <laughs> Where are they? And he just like takes off the mask of his meal yeah. whole time and just goes uh, home. I'm going to give it a high C. I still think that even uh, though it has it has a lot less going on than the other Scream movies, it is still actively entertaining. I like the whole cast. I think there are enough good set pieces that I, I largely enjoyed watching it, but it does seem to be a step down overall for the series, and yeah. I can't not acknowledge that. Whereas I genuinely really liked the last Scream. I think I gave it a big old C+. Uh-huh. This one's just a, 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 a solid C. I think if you like the Scream movies and you're a little less discerning about what needs to be in them for them to work, I think you'll find a lot to like here. Mm. But it doesn't add up to as much. I've heard some people say this is like the, one of their favorites. I'm curious what Scream is to you because maybe it's you're just looking well, from a very different perspective, and this is totally giving you everything you want. I kind of no, want to know. I'm an I'm yeah. an old Gen Xer dude, so yeah. uh, Scream was came out when I was in high school, Same. so it kind of. Uh, spoke to the age I was and yeah. now I'm 44 and it's not going to hit the same way. No, nor could uh, it. So 
I'd be curious to know uh, a younger person's perspective. If, yeah. if you're a, a listener who is mm. the age of the characters in the new Scream. Mm-hmm. Someone who wasn't I, born when the original Scream came out. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd be keen to know sort of what your relationship is with this series, mm-hmm. how you came about it, what you think about sort of the meta narrative aspects. Because I feel like that that's a very 1990s thing, that meta narrative aspect. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it, I feel like there's certain things that you can't, transliterate because they're a product of their time well, remember when they tried to bring the x-files back yeah that, that's a 90s thing no, uh, that sort of 90s. paranoia about the government all that alien stuff that's all very specifically post-cold war thinking i think that's i think that that, that that's way more of a victim of this than scream i think it, it's interesting we were talking about the post-scream wave hmm. um you and i were like you know I, I i you were too young to at least see halloween in theaters hmm um, to us, like when Halloween, like H2O and Resurrection came out that like, that's this new Scream series mm-hmm. for a younger generation of horror filmmakers yeah. or horror film goers who weren't there when the original Scream came out. Mm-hmm. That's an older movie to them. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious because I really like Halloween H2O and I think Resurrection sucks. Um, but you know, I, my relationship to but Halloween lo- is very different because it's yeah. all up until then it was all historical. Most of know? those Halloween movies are also pretty terrible. They're pretty bad. I'll, I'll go to bat for four. I think four is four, pretty four good. Is all right. Four is a yeah. solid slasher. Two. But for me, it's like the original Halloween three is weird in its own thing. Four is pretty good. Halloween H2O is pretty good. Mm. And I have, I think the first two David Gordon Green ones are pretty good, but like that, yeah. I mean, you don't even like the second David Gordon Green one. But no, Halloween yeah. Kills I thought was quite bad. I, yeah. Halloween Ends was the one that I thought was more interesting. We flip on that, yeah. but that's okay. But like, yeah, they, the, Halloween is not a very consistent series at all. <laughs> but regardless, it was like it was kind of legendary though. It was like a rite mm. of passage to watch the original Halloween if you'd never seen it before yeah. when you were like age appropriate like when you were like in middle well, school or something and i wonder if that's what scream is now which would be a little odd because scream is a movie that makes explicit reference to movies like halloween yeah weird, so it's, right? it's like an, an echo like a copy of a copy at that point yeah. but at the same time we're in high school when scream comes out and we're jiving with its mm-hmm. message yeah but are we familiar with jean-luc godard's breathless yeah which is a movie very expressly about how uh real life criminals in the movie of breathless sure are modeling their look and their behavior and constructing their entire personality and attitudes over things they've seen in movies. That was, it's why it's considered so revolution. That was one of the very first films to do that in that way. The idea that a generation has grown up with cinema to the point where it's affecting their behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't see that until I was in college. Sure. So I, I actually saw Scream prior to seeing Breathless. Yeah. I don't have the broad historical spectrum. Yeah. I can see it now, now Look, that I've seen some of these movies. And here's the thing. We're all playing catch-up. No yeah. one's seen every movie, and no one was around mm-hmm. when the first one came out. So I'm, I'm guessing know? Scream probably is that, where uh, people are mm. seeing its influence and the conversations it was having yeah. prior to seeing the actual movie. Anyway, I'm very curious if you're a younger person and... You have you saw the scream? Maybe what, did someone preface it for you? Did they say before you see the original scream, you should watch Halloween or other horror movies in order to like get you there? Or did you watch it kind of cold and have to backtrack in order to figure out what some of the references meant? I'd be very very curious to hear your perspective. Uh, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed dot net. Mm. Uh, you can also send us uh, an actual physical piece of mail. 
Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Send us an actual piece of physical physical letter. A piece (laughs) of a letter. Send us a whole letter. Yeah. To uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And you can talk about that. You can talk about anything else. You want to talk about some of the Oscar controversies or non-controversies or whatever you want to talk Mm -hmm. about. Love to hear from you. You just have questions for us or anything else you want us to talk about. We'd love to hear from you. We might read your email on the next uh, episode of We've Got Mail or the one after that. We'll do more. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. If you want to listen to future podcasts without any ad interruptions whatsoever, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Even $1 a month gets your shows ad-free. Or you can, if you want to contribute, and you can, you can actually get a lot of exclusive shows. We have that podcast we mentioned earlier where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We have a back catalog of well over 20 episodes of that. Uh, and we just keep chugging along as we uh, continue on that journey. We do a podcast where we review every single episode of Star Trek ever made. Uh, we're halfway through, give or take, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, so there's a huge back catalog of that as well as soon as you sign up. We do commentary tracks. We just did one for Pretty in Pink. Later this month, we're going to do a commentary track for the cult classic Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> and if you have never seen that, oh, you just go ahead and watch you're, that. You're in for a treat. And then come back <laughs> so we can all have a conversation about how wild that movie is. It is a classic, cult-wise. Um, and other things as well. We have Discord, Hangouts, Trivia Nights. We need to schedule one of those uh, in the next week or so. Um, so yeah, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, uh, if you also want to, uh, support us by, uh, shopping for soap, because I and my partner, uh, M. Lampas de Silva, we make soap, fancy soap, handcrafted. Uh, you can support us in a couple of different ways. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash salt cat soap. Uh, you can either sign up for one soap a month, two soaps a month, or, for a smaller fee, you can just get our monthly lifestyle podcast, The Salt Cat Soap Show, which is just me and my partner talking about soap and life and things. Hmm. Uh, we also have a Ko-Fi store if you want to uh, order soap directly. You can also order signed books by Amalapas Da Silva through there. That's ko-fi.com slash saltcatsoap. That's the one store where we ship internationally. We've had some requests for that. So that's the place to go if you want to ship internationally. Anyway. Uh, I think that's it. So thank you, everybody, once again. And never forget, everyone is a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?